From the studios of WHUP-LP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. We have a great show for you today about all the incredible things happening in our community and much, much more. Before we get into the substance of the show, where we'll remind you about all the stuff that's happening in the next six weeks or so, as well as get into an interesting interview that's unlike any we've done before, I want to remind you about the year-end awards we're giving. We're giving the first annual Dirty White Belt Radio Awards. These awards are going to range in geography from the tip of Washington, D.C. in the north down to the tip of South Carolina in the south, including all of Virginia, North Carolina, South. Carolina and the district. So if you have a coach that's amazing, if you have a teammate that's had a tremendous year, if you know of someone that is out there at grappling tournaments or at seminars or just in class doing great things and you want to see them recognized, you can nominate them either on our website or on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is Cage Side Radio or you can go our bl- to our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com uh, slash blog and leave a comment nominating people. We already have a bunch of tremendous nominees and I'm going to go over those in just a second, but I want to remind everybody about the process for nominating people. You can nominate in public or you can nominate in private. We've gotten a lot of awards, uh, of award nominees rather, uh, from Toro Cup where people came up to us, told us who they wanted nominated. A lot of people wrote us little notes about what made the nominees special. Sometimes people are sending us emails or Facebook messages or you can also post in the comments on any one of our threads at our Facebook page. Uh, You can tweet at us at DWB Radio or get at us on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. So what are the award categories and who is nominated? So we have the Jujutero of the Year and Jujutera of the Year Awards, whatever uh, the most impressive year had by a male and a female jiu-jitsu practitioner uh, in the American Southeast. Our Jujutero of the Year nominees so far are DeAndre Corbet from Coastal BJJ. At Brown Belt, DeAndre went double gold in all but I think one or two of the events he did in his first year at Brown Belt. John Shell ranked in the top five in the world at Masters 3 Brown Belt. I, I think John's ranked number three now. John Bagels Telford, one of the most regular and active brown belt competitors out there. And Josh Murdoch, who in his first year at Blackwell has gotten out there and competed against many luminaries, has medaled at major IBJJF tournaments. For Jujutera of the Year, we have a diverse array of nominees, starting with Betty Broadhurst, friend of the show, Gustavo Machado Purple Belt, who always steps up to compete at any tournament within a six-hour drive and often gets paired with competition decades younger and much bigger and never complains, always has a great time. Betty was also nominated for our Most Inspirational Athlete, which we'll get down in a, and get down to in a second. Our other nominees for Jujutera of the Year include Chelsea McCoy, who won the PANS this past year, Christina Little Bit Lynn, a juvenile competitor who just won her match at Toro Cup, was very impressed and got a lot of support uh, from folks on the internet. Chelsea Kurtzman, regular competitor from uh, Great Grappling, Purple Belt. The mighty Mary Holmes, who has been a guest on the show. You can check out her show in the archive, Mary Masters World Champion at Brown Belt and uh, one of the most technical people in the American Southeast, if you ask me. 
And we had two more nominees. Uh, one uh, was uh, Amber Habel, who's a four-stripe blue belt, just won a tremendous Toro Cup super fight, competes all the time, nominated for Jiu-Jitsu of the Year by Mary Holmes, by the way. So if you get a shout-out from Mary, you're, uh, you're doing something right. And the final nominee for Jiu-Jitsu of the Year, our friend, show guest, sponsored fighter, black belt from Great Grappling, Caitlin Huggins. So we have several nominees for Tournament Coach of the Year. We divided our Coach of the Year nominees into two different categories because a lot of folks either focus on primarily self-defense or focus primarily on competition jiu-jitsu. A lot of people do both, and so, yeah, you can nominate people from both. Our Tournament Coaches of the Year nominees are Cody Malte, an Elevate MMA black belt under Robert Drysdale, who, as his nominator put it, puts the needs of his team before himself time and time again. Tony Casares of Lucas Lepre BJJ Raleigh, um, tremendous black belt instructor and one of our most popular show guests. So check out Tony's show in the archive. Jason Culbreth, Masters World Champion at Black Belt, uh, uh, nominated by a couple different people. And the last two nominees for Coach of the Year tournament category were Hubao Carioca, who's on his way back from a stroke, get well soon, Rubens. And Daniel Charles Frank, who is probably, you know, who has probably spent more hours on the mat than maybe anybody in the Southeast this year. Uh, so congratulations to everyone who's nominated. Self-Defense Instructor of the Year. We have three nominees so far. We have, uh, oh, I, I'm actually, now late-breaking news. Brandon Garner was also, of Gracie Raleigh, was also just nominated by uh, Jason Wingate and, uh, and Daniel Branch. So uh, Brandon Garner, another nominee for Coach of the Year. For Self-Defense Instructor of the Year, Master Pedro Sauer, another show guest, and Coral Beltender Hicks and Gracie has been nominated. Um, there are a lot of reasons that Pedro Sauer makes sense here. Uh, we'll get into it when we're getting close to voting. Billy Dowie, uh, one of the most, you know, one of the toughest guys around and one of the most, uh, you know, one of, one of the toughest old school guys in the area and for, you know, uh, a, and a dude with a relentless focus on self-defense and real world effectiveness. Um, and finally, Jay Quitfield, also nominated for Self-Defense Instructor of the Year. We're getting th- uh, So, the la- last couple of categories. Uh, for Most Inspirational Athlete of the Year, you know about Betty Broadhurst, uh, who, you know, and I think we can all agree that even if, even if Betty doesn't win, uh, she's, she's a worthy candidate for this category. Another couple of inspirational athletes, Anthony Elbert from Tidewater BJJ, a brown belt, a guy who is a high-level competitor but always cares about the well-being of his opponents, other athletes, not just who won, going to the guys with the best attitudes around. Two other uh, nominees for Most Inspirational Athlete of the Year, Brian Freeman, uh, a.k.a. Wheelchair Jitsu, one of the guys uh, who's most inspirational out there on the mats every day. And our own Lourdes Cantu was nominated for Most Inspirational Athlete of the Year, Purple Belt from uh, uh, Great Grappling. Finally, a couple of matches of the year. So a lot of different match of the, matches of the year that we, we could mention, but uh, the ones that we, and we, we, I think we are going to break these down into men's match of the year and women's match of the year because we got a lot of great nominees in both categories. Greg Walker was nominated for tw- twice for two different matches. One, his win over DJ Jackson at the IBJJF DC Open. So Greg Walker versus DJ Jackson. Great match, really landmark match in Greg's career. We, we talked about him last week and that match last week. Another match we talked about last week was Nakapon against Greg Walker at Toro Cup. You know, and that, you know, that was the first match, frankly, that I thought of. And so I'm happy that multiple people nominated that match. Third, from this most recent Toro Cup, and maybe this is recency bias, but this is a great match. And it's available on video um, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash cagesideradio, which is Jake Whitfield against Isaac July Jr. Um, you know, I think that match will stand the test of time. So three great nominees for match of the year in the men's category.
For the women's category, Samantha Fallhaber, who's been on the show a couple times, um, uh, against Fiona Watson at the Fight to Win Pro Philadelphia event. This was a great match that was really, I think, a, a showcase for people that haven't seen Sam in a competitive environment get out there and really, really show what she can do. And that's a, that's a great match, so good, definitely watch that. Another nominee was our own Kim Rice against Tara White, Tara White ADCC qualifier, Kim uh, world champion uh, at a couple different belt levels. Uh, you know, just an amazing match on, on all counts. And the final nominee so far, nominees will st- nominations will stay open until December 21st, so these aren't going to be the last ones, is uh, Taylor Saucer uh, from Gustavo Machado team against Iman Bilbasi at Toro Cup. I believe Toro Cup 6 or Toro Cup 7. But, um, you know, what, whichever Toro Cup it was, it escapes my mind at the moment. It is on our Facebook page, and so you can go watch that match as well. So keep in mind, those are some of the, the ways you can recognize the people doing great things in our community. Speaking of great things in the community, there's a lot going on for the next six weeks. And before we get into our featured interview, which is going to be something unlike anything we've done before on the show that I hope you enjoy, I want to remind you that there are all kinds of opportunities to get out there and train, get out there and compete, and get out there and learn some jiu-jitsu. The scene is growing more than ever. I was just talking with Cody Malte from Elevate MMA about this, and the fact is it's amazing to have multiple opportunities that years ago you you would wait months for. And so next weekend, uh, October 28th, is the Pro Jitsu Dark Horse Invitational. A lot of great com- competitors are competing. It's a Blue Belt Invitational. Uh, Cheyenne Safraz is competing. I know that Chris Davis from Segway Submissions, uh, which is where it's in New, in New Bern, which is where it's going to be hosted, is going to put together a great card of people uh, to watch. We're going to try and get out and cover that. However, I will be elsewhere. I had planned to go to the Pro Jitsu Dark Horse Invitational, but as it turns out, um, I haven't had a chance to compete at Brown Belt yet, and I will be competing October 28th at U.S. Grappling Greensboro. So if you've ever heard me say anything on this show that made you want to beat me up and you have a Brown Belt or you do advanced nogi, you can feel free to do that and come out and have your chance to squeeze my face and uh, and uh, turn my joints the wrong way. Um, and U.S. Grappling Greensboro is always a heck of a good time. You know, it's a different demographic than the triangle, so you get to roll with people that you don't necessarily always get to roll with. And this will be my, my first tournament at Brown Belt, although I've competed in advanced no-gi before. So at the end of the show, uh, maybe I'll give you a little preview into, into my process, but mostly just, hey, come out, have some fun, see, see some uh, great people, and uh, let them try to choke you. And if you roll with me, please let me choke you. So the weekend after that, and this is something I really want to focus heavily on. Uh, there are two great events in two different parts of the Southeast. One is Rollathon in D.C. Lori Porsche puts that together at Beta Academy. It's for a great cause and a bunch of awesome people. I know that uh, several people from the Triangle are making their way up to support that event. And I will post information for that on our Facebook page. But also, and sincerely, if you can pick one thing to go to in the next six weeks you should go to Dominica Oblanite at Elevate MMA. We sponsored Dominica coming in before for two seminars, one a women-only seminar, one a co-ed seminar, and the feedback from those seminars were outstanding. And for the price, I think it's $80 pre-register, to get to train for three hours with legitimately the best in the world, like a four-time world champion, two-time open-class world champion, still young and on the come-up, and an excellent instructor is just something that you really can't afford to miss. That's at Elevate MMA. It's on November 4th. You can pre-register online at Elevate MMA. MMA.com. We'll post information for that on our website. And I think everybody who was at those seminars before learned something they could either immediately put into their game or something that expands the possibilities of their game. I know that a lot of the stuff that Anika showed last time, I'm still doing regularly. I am thrilled to be able to train with her again, and hopefully we'll get her back in the studio. So if you are doing anything, stop doing that and go to the Dominica seminar. If you aren't doing anything, then you have no excuse. Register for the Dominica seminar. It's going to be great. A couple more weeks out. Then for the following week, if you want to, uh, if you want to support a great cause, 
and train with a bunch of great people. Uh, the Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts is full of some of the coolest dudes around, and they do a lot of great things for charity and for the community. So Rob and Guy, the twin black belts that run Pendergrass, every year have a roll-a-thon to benefit cancer charities. They unfortunately lost their father to cancer, and so this I know this is a cause that is near and dear to their hearts. And they do such amazing stuff to raise money. The Pendergrass Foundation uh, has, supports cancer research, this disease that's affected all of us in one way or another. And, you know, if I told you you could do something that you love to do while supporting a great cause, that was nearby, you'd probably do it, right? Well, you probably should do it. And that's November 11th at the Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts. Uh, so check out Pendergrass Rollathon November 11th. If you're traveling a little further, Rubens Cabrinha, who legitimately one of the best of all time, is going to be down in Greensboro, South Carolina. And uh, we're going to try to get him on the show while Cabrinha is in town. So, uh, so check that out. Finally, I'm just going to mention this just to tease folks, because this is how close, how quickly you got to jump on things these days. So Bernardo Faria, who is himself a multiple time, five time world champion, is coming to Elevate to teach deep half guard goodness. And I'm sure many other stuff as well. Unfortunately, that is sold out. Um, so I'm just mentioning that he's coming because it's significant to have a dude of that skill level and caliber coming to our community. Um, I'm fortunate and I got to give a shout out to my in-laws who purchased a private lesson for me for my birthday with Bernardo. So sorry to rub it in everybody who's not going to get on the mats with Bernardo, but I couldn't possibly be more excited about that. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Those are just a few of the upcoming local events, and those of us that have been around a while can tell you how much the scene has grown as a result of a lot of people's hard work. It is by way of telling you how, how significant that is that I want to segue to talk about the business of martial arts. So these are just a few of the local events that are happening. So because this show is about martial arts, I want to tell you about how huge an industry the martial arts is. Take MMA just for example. Most of you know that the Ultimate Fighting Championship recently sold this year for $4 billion. But did you know that MMA generated $1.4 billion in revenue during 2010 alone? And did you further know that during that year, almost one in every three sporting events people watched was an MMA event? Did you know those things? I hope you didn't know those things because none of those things are actually true. Or at least they aren't true about MMA. They're true about romance novels. So where am I going with this? Well, all the things I said about MMA are actually true of the romance genre. Almost 30% of all fiction books sold are sold in the romance genre. If the romance industry collectively decided they wanted to pay cash for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, they'd have been able to do it with a little less than three years of cash income. You might think there's no way romance writers would be interested in the MMA world, but that wouldn't be true either. Harper St. George and Tara Wyatt are the authors of a three-book series set in the world of mixed martial arts. We talked to them about the similarities between romance writing and fighting, about the fighters that inspire them, about why stereotypes that MMA athletes face are inaccurate, and much, much more. The first book in the series they've written, Dirty Boxing, is out now. Betsy O'Donovan, who is writing a feature story about romance novels for the next issue of Publishers Weekly, talked to Harper St. George and Tara Wyatt with me. We had a fun exchange about the intersection between the stories that we each usually tell in our respective fields, and we're going to bring that interview to you right now. Here's Harper St. George and Tara Wyatt talking about romance novels, MMA, and more with me and Betsy O'Donovan. 
Our featured interview today is brought to you by Cageside Fight Company. Whether your primary art is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, Western Boxing, or whatever it is, Cageside has the products for you at the best prices with the best customer service around. Thanks, Cageside, for your support, and enjoy this featured interview. I have to say, as a longtime reader of romance novels, I was really intrigued to see a line that involves um, MMA fighters in part because I think it's such a natural fit for an alpha hero, but I wanted to talk to you guys and get your perspective. What is it that makes MMA intriguing as a potential set of heroes? Um, I think that's a big part of it. Um, it's the alpha hero. The um, I tend to write warrior types. and I'm a historical writer, and this is my first uh, foray into a full-length contemporary and I write Vikings and Outlaws, um, that very much that type of hero. So the type of hero of MMA fighters, it was just really natural jump. We have a friend who describes himself as a modern Viking who uh, trains in jiu-jitsu, and he'll be delighted to hear you think that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, both of us have been writing romance and reading romance for a while, and we have seen other books out there, and I'm not going to name any names, but there have been other books with like underground cage fighters and like he kills someone in the octagon and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I started watching MMA, specifically UFC and some Bellator with my husband a couple of years ago. And I really was drawn to the athletic aspect of it. I like other sports as well. I watch baseball, I watch hockey. And I was drawn to the athleticism of it. And so when Harper and I were kind of conceptualizing this series, it was really important to us that we show our characters as these really serious driven athletes and not some, you know, macho meathead cage fighter, which is kind of the stereotype we were trying to play against in these books. I think mm-hmm. a lot about Susan Elizabeth Phillips, um, who has a whole series about, uh, I'm sure you guys have read them, but for our audience who may not be deeply steeped in the romance genre. Um, You know, one of my favorite things is this entire series about the Chicago Stars football club because it is um, about, like, the sport and its demands and reality, and I I just was waiting for someone to do this with MMA. Yeah, I I think that's another thing, too. We, um, in these other MMA books, you definitely are in that world a little bit, but we like the idea of creating our own league in the books. The league is the WFC World Fighting Championship. And sort of, it starts off in the first book. The league is, the league is fledgling, just started a few years ago. So you get a little bit of a look into how the league starts, how it builds. The president of the league is the father of the heroine, Craig Darcy. And so you get a little bit of what he had to go through to build the league. You you get the politics behind it. And I really like the idea of exploring just the world of that, you know, not just the hero and the heroine, but everyone, everyone else in the world. So Tara, you mentioned that you're a fight fan that has been watching fights, uh, UFC and little Bellator for a few years. Harper, were you new Mm -hmm. to the world of MMA? And I'm guessing that you did some research in terms of maybe watching fights. I'm curious about where that research took you, and was there anything in that research that surprised you? Oh, sure. Um, Yeah, Tara definitely introduced me to the world of MMA. Um, I think she was first telling me about it, and I was like, what what does MMA stand for? 
What did you have to stand for? I like I didn't know I knew it for back in the early days when it was sort of like Street Fighter, you know. Mm. Um, but it's definitely progressed since then. And I think what surprised me the most is how you have people from all walks of life drawn to this. You have fighters who are. I mean, they dedicate their lives to the sport. It's not just something that they sort of do on the side. And you have college educated, you have people from blue collar backgrounds, and the same goes from the fans. I think it's it reaches across all barriers. I'm reminded of the um, line about NASCAR romances a few years ago and how that was kind of amazing to people that NASCAR was featured in romance novels, but it really does speak to such a huge cross-section of society. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, it's a very diverse, both fighters themselves and fight fans are an extremely diverse demographic. And so it's cool that the books are going to reflect that. The first book is out now. And uh, you have, I believe, three that are that are in the pipeline to come out later. Is that right? So the first one is out and there's still two to come. The next one comes out on November 13th. So the first book is out. And I read the descriptions of the heroes and the heroines in books one and three, and they seem very distinct in, in fight style and if nothing else. So to play off that, uh, how diverse the demographic is, like, how did you make the choice in terms of like crafting a hero, in terms of like what the fight style would be? And did you did you want to have one a striker, one a grappler? Did that matter? And I, I'll ask you later about some of your favorite fighters, and I'm wondering if that informed those narrative choices. So, yeah, I can definitely speak to that. We When we were plotting out the books, uh, one of the first things we did was really talk about the characters because it, regardless of whether we're writing this series or we're writing our own books, the characters are one of the first things that we both work on, partly because romance is so character-driven. If the characters are flat, you're not going to have a very compelling romance if you don't care about these two people. So when we were plotting it out, it was important to us that the heroes come from different backgrounds, that they come from different fight styles, because we wanted them to stand apart as characters in readers' minds. I have a a question that I've been sort of mulling over, which is, um, you know, we, Jeff and I both really love a lot of female MMA athletes like Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey and uh, my personal favorite, Roxy Montefiore. Um, I'm curious whether you think there is space in the romance market for an MMA fighting heroine? Um, We'd love to bring in a female MMA fighter. Um, I think it'd be a great storyline and something we've actually discussed for a future book if we continue the series on past the three. Um, As I mentioned, we try to focus a little bit on league politics. And as you know, in the past, there's been some politics as far as bringing female fighters into um, the league. So I think that would be a great way to play off what's happening in the real world and put that in and I would be excited to explore that character. I would also shout out Canada's own Sarah Kaufman is one of my favorite fighters. In thinking about fighting and watching combat sports, but watching any sports really, I see a fight or a sports match as a satisfying story with a definitive ending that, as you mentioned, has compelling characters, but has a narrative arc. And I think that's one of the things that attracts us to watching it, that there's this rising action, this falling action, and a clear-cut result. I'm wondering if that's how you see writing in the romance genre. Is that is that the way you think of it, and uh, why or why not? 
I think any story has to have a lot of, any good story has a lot of tension and a lot of conflict and there's ups and downs, just like in a fight where it might be going back and forth and this fighter won the first round and this fighter won the second round and you don't know who's going to win in the end. And I think one of the other similarities between between romance or writing in general and fighting is that, you know, once you leave it up to the judges, it's kind of out of your hands and you can go out there and you can do your best, but the score might not go your way. <laughs> and you can't really control that. You just kind of go out there and leave it all in the octagon. And we tried to do that with these books, you know, really doing our best to tell a compelling, emotionally um, interesting story with these fighters. But ultimately, it's up to the reader to interpret it however he or she chooses. So there's actually a lot of parallels between writing and fighting. It's a little weird, to be honest, but... Did all this talk about MMA inspire you to get out and train some? I hope so. And if you need some gear, Cageside.com is the place to go. Cageside Fight Company is the best local martial arts retailer. They have a warehouse that will enable you to check out all the gear before you buy it. Or you can, from the comfort of your own home, buy such products as the Cageside Cobra Focus Mitts on sale now, the Tank Shin Guards, the Muay Thai Boxing Gloves, all of which are available at a great price with the best customer service around. Check them out at 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. I have kind of two related questions for you that are a little bit about that. First, I'd like to ask you how this series came about. What was the inception of it? How did you become writing partners? And then the other thing is, I'm curious how you think of the audience for this book, who you expect to be reading it, and whether you think that will be opening up the market. Um, and I guess I'd like to tackle that first thing first. How did the book come to be? How did the series come to be? Um, Karen and I were critique partners. We met through a mutual friend, and anytime we finished a manuscript or got stuck in a story, we would sort of hand our work back and forth to each other. And so we knew we could work well together. We were sort of on the same wavelength with our writing and what we were trying to say. Um, she had a series of bodyguard books out and in the last one, her hero was an MMA fighter, but his side job was personal security. Mm-hmm. And so she had a lot of him at his gym training and talking to his friends there. And I was like, Carrie, you have to write this book. <laughs> I want to read about these guys. So we just started talking more, playing ideas back and forth, and she was like, well, why don't we just write one together? And we just started, it just kind of snowballed from there. I just love that. And how did the conversations with editors go when you said, we want to do a book about MMA fighters? Um, Well, we had actually written probably half of Dirty Boxing Mm -hmm. before we even showed to our agent. And um, we weren't really sure how they were going to react because we have two different agents and, you know, they were going to have to split the commission and they, you know, neither of us had been co-writing when we had signed with them. So it was kind of this new thing that we were trying. So we weren't really sure how that was going to go over, but they were really supportive and really excited about the project. So we went out on proposal with the first, I think, did we have the first hundred pages of Dirty Boxing? I don't remember. We had a good chunk. Yeah, I think we sent out the first hundred pages. And so we sent out the first 100 pages with the synopsis and character sketches and all the 
stuff that typically goes into a proposal, and, and they shopped it to different publishers, and um, found, we found a really great home with it at Simon Schuster. I love book stories that have really happy endings for the writers. And I'm so glad you guys found a home for it. How, when you were working with the house, how did you talk about audience or think about audience? I know there's a lot of that kind of metric comes into consideration when a book, when editors are needing to figure out how to acquire a book. Well, it's definitely a bit of a niche market. Um, but right now there has been a revitalization of sports romance in general. Um, as we spoke about earlier, you definitely get that as a hero. So there is interest out there as far as and definitely trying to appeal to people who love sports romance and people who love MMA romance, but also hoping that it appeals to a broader contemporary romance audience as well. Because while Nick is a fighter and Jules works for the league, so there's a lot of really great MMA content in there. Um, it would also appeal to just traditional romance readers. And then conversely, we would also hope that it appeals to sports fiction readers who don't mind a few steamy things um, because there is a lot of really great MMA content in there. So uh, romance readers will get something out of it. Sports fiction readers will get something out of it. MMA fans, I feel, would really get something out of it. And honestly, um, I really encourage people who've never picked up a romance to give one a try because I, I honestly think a lot of people would be genuinely surprised at what they find in a good way. I think this is the one that's going to get Jeff into the genre. He's been hearing about it from me forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's funny because I didn't read any sports romance until I found the one book I loved. And then it opened mm -hmm. a, that whole sort of subgenre category for me. And now, you know, it's why my ears perked up when I heard about Dirty Boxing. Our guests are Tara Wyatt and Harper St. George. They're the authors of the Blood and Glory series, a three-book series. The first book, Dirty Boxing, is out now, and we will return to questions about the romance genre in a bit, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask. Because you talked about you wanted to make different characters with distinct fight styles, distinct personalities, I'm wondering, what are, do you all have favorite fighters, and do you have favorite fight styles, either that from something that's simply pleasurable to watch or someone whose personality particularly grabs you? And did that lead you in any direction in terms of, well, I really like uh, Chael Sonnen, and so I modeled Nick after him or, or, or something like that? I definitely have some favorite fighters because I've been watching for a while. And the idea for the character of Nick was definitely inspired by Elias Theodoro, who's a Canadian fighter. Um, he won his season of Ultimate Fighter, and I think he's fighting again next month in Australia. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we do have these favorite fighters who inspire us. Um, Harper loves Shogun Rua, like you love him. <laughs> um, these fighters, we, we do love, we do have our favorite fighters, and we do try to incorporate them or, like, you know, characteristics of them, inspirations from them into the characters that we're creating. The fighters I like, I tend to like their personal stories. That's really more what catches my attention. Like, you know, the comeback story of Dominic Cruz. Like, that's a great story. And I would say definitely, you know, the Weidman Rock Holt fight when he lost the uh, belt. That definitely had an impact on book two and the way it ends. Um, Kara was a very big Chris Weidman fan, so that's why when I came in, I kind of took over the, the fighters that she liked and, um, rooted for them. Told her who to cheer for. And so it definitely, <laughs> it definitely, um, sort of influenced the ending of book two. 
which I guess I shouldn't talk about because spoilers. Out yet. <laughs> <laughs> we love Chris Weidman because he's Sorry. a Henzo Gracie and a Matt Sarah guy, and so we get we love Henzo Gracie and Matt Sarah guys. And I will say one of the first acts of romance in me and Betsy's nascent relationship was I introduced her to the Ultimate Fighter, including the Elias Teodoro series, and so. So that's something that has fond there memories for both of us. And honestly, I think the thing <laughs> that makes your books really intriguing is the same thing that makes The Ultimate Fighter exciting, which is the idea of knowing more than the fighter in the ring. Like, all sports mm-hmm. is interesting because you have someone to root for. It's better when you know the backstory. Mm-hmm. So without spoilers... Um, you know, clearly you have a narrative arc that goes through three books. There are different heroes and heroines in each book. I'm curious about, did you sit down with the plot and say there are going to be certain characters that are with us through the whole series, but certain characters that are going to go by the wayside? And um, what are common themes that you see that will, uh, that will carry readers through all the books? We had sort of the main plot points and the big characters figured out, but the smaller characters... Um, you know, a lot of the details, they come together as you're writing. At least they do for us. Everyone has a different process. Um, So a lot of that stuff we figured out kind of as we went, like in Dirty Boxing, this is not a spoiler. um, We knew that Nick had a brother who he was very close with, but we didn't know a whole lot about him until we started writing him into the book and how he was influencing some of the story. So you figure that out as you go and you figure out what the story needs as you go. Um, so that's, that's the way we approach that. Sorry, Harper, you were going to say something. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, book one was really key for us because we really didn't know a whole lot about what we were going to write as far as the series went until we got through book one. And then it became a lot clearer where we wanted to go. Yeah. Plus we were figuring out how to co-write. Yeah, so you're co-authors that collaborate over great distance, and I'm curious, what is that process like, and and had either of you done it before? No, not really. Um, It was just something we had to figure out as we went along. Um, And we knew early on we wanted to, she would do one character, I would do the other character, and we would write scenes from that person's point of view, but we didn't really know how to go through the whole book. And both of us are not very good plotters. We just sort of sit down and write. And that's not something you can do when you have another person who's waiting for you to finish your scene. And then you need to also be thinking about what they're going to write. So it forced us to learn how to plot. At least we had the next three or four scenes in mind. So we knew where the scene that we were working on was supposed to end up. And then we would write it and email it. And then that person would critique it, send it back, and then they could start writing their scene, which would be the next, the next scene. So it was, it was a learning process. We had to figure out what worked for us and what didn't. Harper, you mentioned that you typically write historical romance, and so I'm wondering, what was the biggest adjustment for you in terms of working with a contemporary setting, or was it a natural, seamless transition? No, no it was not natural and seamless at all. Um, <laughs> I think, for whatever reason, my writing voice is a little more historical. I think just because that's what I tend to read, a lot of historical fiction, which can be a little more formal. Um, so you definitely, it, it's a challenge to write contemporary. Um, obviously, it's the research is a little bit different. Um, you don't have to research what necessarily would be like to go out to dinner because, you know, whereas in historical, you have to research every little thing. 
it was tough. Even now, if we have a scene and I have to write it really fast, I'm not able to go back through it. I'll send it to her and she's like, this reads historical. <laughs> so it's um, <laughs> like, I know, just I wanted you to see the scene. I'll go back and fix it. Um, so it's definitely a challenge. It's like talking in two different accents, sort of, is how I try to describe it. North Carolina, it's time to get back out there and compete. U.S. Grappling is coming back to Greensboro on October 28th. This is always one of the most fun tournaments of the year because people from the Triangle come out, people from the coast come out, people from the mountains come out, and native Greensboroans come out. I'm not actually sure what you call someone from Greensboro, so maybe you can write in and tell me. Or maybe you can tell me in person when we're at U.S. Grappling Greensboro, October 28th, coming out and compete. On a different note, from writing, but back to fighting real quickly. So you obviously both, uh, Terry, you as a, a longtime fan, and Harper, you as someone who's doing book research, you watched a bunch of fights. I'm, I always want to ask people, striking or grappling, what do you enjoy most, and is there a reason for that? Striking because it's more dynamic and exciting to watch, and because I'm not actually an athlete, I, I know that there's a lot that goes into grappling, but I don't have that appreciation for it because it's just not as exciting to watch as a spectator. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely striking because I just don't really know what I'm looking at otherwise. <laughs> I'm sure there are some things I just don't pick up with the grappling part. This makes me tempted to uh, fly to both Atlanta and Toronto and guide you through grappling matches to make you understand exactly how exciting they can be when we pay attention <laughs> to the technical details. Or maybe a video conference. I, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to sit with someone saying, okay, this is what he's doing right now. This is what it, and this, I mean, it, it makes it much more exciting when you really understand what's going on. But not being an athlete, not having that experience, it's a little more difficult. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, y'all, this has been absolutely delightful for us. And I have really just one last question for you, which is this. I'd like to invite you to pitch your books to our listeners, because I think they are now fully primed to appreciate uh, all of them. So what would you say? What's, why should somebody read the books and what can they expect from them? I would say that Dirty Boxing appeals to lots of different readers. If you like romance, there's something for you. If you like sports fiction, there's something for you. If you like family drama, there's something for you. There's a lot going on in the book. Um, it's exciting. It's angsty. It's emotional. It's passionate. It's steamy. Uh, it'll have you turning pages pretty darn fast, I have to say. <laughs> I have zero doubts about this, and I am so looking forward to sharing my copy with uh, folks in our listening area and encouraging them to, to join a book club for it. Maybe this is the first Dirty White Belt Book Club book. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that is great. <laughs> our guests are Tara Wyatt and Harper St. George. They are the authors of the Blood and Glory series. There are three books in the series. The first one is out right now. It's called Dirty Boxing. The other two are going to come out. We have really enjoyed talking to y'all, and I look forward also to the first ever Dirty White Belt video conference where we go through grappling matches with you. Thanks so much. <laughs> that would be amazing. I want to thank Tara and Harper for sitting down with us. If you enjoyed that interview or it piqued your curiosity, the first book of the Blood and Glory series is out right now, and we'll link to it in the comments. 
You can also watch for Betsy's piece about romance novels in the November issue of Publishers Weekly, which should be out in just a couple weeks. And I'm not actually sure how we can create a podcast event where the four of us can watch a grappling, uh, where the four of us can watch a grappling-centric fight together. But boy, would I like to make that happen. North Carolina. U.S. Grappling Greensboro is next weekend. This weekend was U.S. Grappling Northern Virginia. A lot of amazing stuff happened. Uh, you can check your Facebook feed for all the various uh, victories, defeats, drama, and such like that. Those are always really fun tournaments. I regret that I wasn't able to go and compete there. But I am going to be able to compete next weekend at U.S. Grappling Greensboro. And so I hope that I see you all out there on the mats with me. It's going to be a lot of fun. I wanted to talk for just a second at the end of the show about process because I think about process a lot. And uh, I'm always loath to sort of be over realistic about the way things are because if you, it's very easy to get into the mentality of, uh, well, you know, I shouldn't compete because I've been too busy at work or I haven't had a chance to train a lot lately or, you know, I'm nursing this elbow injury or things like that. But the reality is that you can make excuses for anything, anytime. You can always find a reason to do something or a reason not to do something. And so it would be pretty easy for me to uh, uh, to say, hey, I'm probably going to have a lot more time next year in order to compete. And I kind of did that. But when I felt that spirit bubbling up in myself, I decided to squash it back down. And I urge you to do the same when it happens to you. So um, I am going to have limited time to prepare for this tournament, but I thought I would share a little bit, and I've written about this on the blog a little bit, about the optimal way to get ready for a tournament. And I haven't done uh, a specific, here's how you get ready for a tournament on a short notice or with, or with limited time to train post. Maybe I'll do that sometime in the future. But I wanted to share a little bit of my process, and then maybe next weekend we can talk about uh, how it went. So the reality is, when you get to brown belt, your game is not entirely developed, but you have you know you have the things that you want to do. And so I wrote a post earlier about how when I got my brown belt, my goal at brown belt was to tap more often because, you know, I'm already good at the things that I'm going to be good at, the stuff that I know well. But now it's really time for me to, I think, fill in the holes expand my knowledge by training with people that are better than me that are training with people that are better than me in specific areas folks that are really good at leg locks if I want to learn leg locks folks that are really good at takedowns if I'm trying to get better at my takedowns things like that and that's the long-term process but you know if you have uh, a specific short-term objective you know the process is different for example let's say you know that leg locks are the weakest part of your game you know, and you know that long term, if you want good, solid, fundamental jujitsu over the long term, that that's a world you have to dip your toe in, no pun intended. Um, it, then it makes a lot of sense for you to drill a ton of leg locks and explore those positions and expose yourself to things that you haven't been exposed to before. On the other hand, if your goal is to put yourself is to to succeed at a particular near term objective, that's exactly the opposite of the thing you should do. Instead of trying to shore up the biggest weaknesses in your game, you should be trying to drill the things that you're already good at. And so, especially when you're when you're older and your body doesn't recover as it once did, um, 
you know, usually it's very easy to say we prepare for tournaments by doing by simulating the conditions that we're going to experience in those tournaments, i.e. we're going to roll really hard, compete really hard, spar really hard all the time. And for the most part, that's true. You know, if you have weeks to, to prepare, you should do, be doing a lot of that. And I'll be doing a lot of that. But if you have a week, OK, you know, you're not going to learn much more than you already know. And if you're and your cardio is not going to get all that much better in a week. And so here's what I try and do. I try and give myself a list of the three to five techniques that I'm most likely to use in a given position. And then I just drill the heck out of those. And I'll roll as well, you know, to try to implement those things. But at this point, it's only I'm only going to be drilling the techniques that I'm most likely to deal with. And we'll leave the long term learning stuff. The hey, I'm really trying to learn this cool knee bar. Hey, I'm really trying to learn this particular type of De La Hiva X sweep. We'll leave that for a later time. And so I think that's generally speaking uh, what you should do. It's kind of an 80-20 rule uh, during normal training. Like 80% of the time you're training the stuff that is the A-game, central, fundamental, advanced basics that you want to have at your disposal all the time. And 20% you're trying to, to learn new stuff. But the week before a tournament, especially if you don't have a ton of time to prepare for it, um, from my particular perspective, it's a 100% you know, it's time to, to dedicate 100% of the time of the, uh, with the techniques that you'll actually do. Um, now, that being said, I'm not saying I'm not going to do any leg locks uh, because I am uh, or I'm going to try to. Th and that's seriously another thing that, that I think that I think of. You know, if you look at some of the top tier competitors and the way that they approach tournaments, um, a lot of times a tournament is an opportunity to put in motion some of the B game techniques that you're that work on your training partners, but you're not really sure if they're going to work on people that don't see you every day and that you don't have a chance to, to develop. So, like, it's just, uh, you know, this is why tournaments are so exciting. This is why tournaments are so important. This is why it's great that we have U.S. grappling right here in our backyard because when you roll with people all the time and they know what you do, they react differently to people that either don't know what you do or people that... Uh, that, that you have no idea what, what they do. And so that's why it's kind of cool to get back out there on the competition mats and uh, kick the dust off the brown belt. So if you have one of those brown belts, or uh, even if you don't have one of those brown belts but you want to enter Advanced Snow Gi, uh, come on out and roll. It'll be, it'll be a great time. That's U.S. Grappling Greensboro, October 28th, next weekend. We will see you all out there. And that's our show for the week. I want to thank my guests, uh, Tara Wyatt and Harper St. George. I want to thank Betsy O'Donovan for uh, sitting in on that and providing a level of expertise that I simply could not provide on my own. And I always want to thank our Patreon supporters, Betty Broadhurst, Chris Holmes, Cody Malte, and Carl Krebs. You can join them in supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. I also want to mention that this month we're donating all the proceeds of the show, that's the gross proceeds, not the net, um, to Puerto Rico uh, relief from the hurricane. And so we're up around $450 right now. So if you've ever wanted to buy a Dirty White Belt shirt or a Dirty White Belt patch, or if you ever wanted to buy an ad on the show, or you support us via Patreon, because we're donating all the Patreon funds this month to Puerto Rico as well, now is a great time uh, for you to get some cool gear, for you to support your local jujitsu podcast, and for you to support some folks who really, really need it. The co-hosts of the show are Lourdes Cantu and Betsy O'Donovan. My name is Jeff Shaw. This is Dirty White Belt Radio, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>